Hi, I'm Angela Lucier, a professional public speaker, seven-time author, two-time TEDx speaker, and CEO and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women. And I'm Dr. Jolie Hamilton, a research psychologist, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and ASEC certified sex educator. Together, we're the hosts of Claim the Stage, a podcast about speaking and sisterhood. If you've been a fan, you know I've been doing this show solo, and it's been all about public speaking for years. Well, that all changes now. Well, you're still talking about speaking on stage, but now we're also going to focus on the three things that you need to make an impact, your voice, confidence, and sisterhood. This show is a training ground to go from dreaming to creating. Right. And we'll still be doing interviews with expert guests. Plus, you'll also get more personal stories and insights from us as well. I'm really excited to see where this goes. Me too. And slightly freaked out. Yeah, me too. Welcome to the next chapter of Clay on the Stage. Good morning. Good morning. You look cozy and comfy. I know yeah, they I have, can't see you, but she's cozy and comfy. Yeah. This this is like a, if I were a cat, this is what I would look like. I would have pink fur with a hood. I like that. I like yeah. that. Would you would your cat ears be under the hood or would they be part of the hood? Part of the hood. Like all of Max's. Like I don't know what happened. It seemed like in the last five years, all of a sudden little kids' clothes all have ears on them which I, I love to make those like I I made my kids clothes that had little ears on them because you couldn't really find them everywhere and I was so enamored so yeah it's such yeah. a good idea such a good idea because like they're throwing a temper tantrum everything's like there's peas everywhere but they have bear ears yeah so <laughs> really it's Max all even good. he has a sweatshirt that has little spikes that go up the top so it's maybe a dinosaur or an yeah. alligator. I'm not really sure. And then he has one that has little teeth on the front. So when he pulls it down, it looks like, like a, like a beaver or something. It's great. You never know what you're going to see when you pull the hood on. So okay. I think that was a nice gift to parents to keep us, uh, you know, interested in looking at our kids. I mean, you, you have to <laughs> smile, right? You have to smile. It's not like this is all easy. You're parenting in quarantine. I know. It's not simple. No. So today we're talking about my course online presenting made easy. And we are doing a reboot of an episode I put out last summer with which are Q and a all about, um, online presenting. And I was going to redo this episode. And I thought actually all of these questions still apply. And this advice is exactly what I would say today. So I'm going to put out that episode again, but I thought we'd start with a different intro and talk a little bit about what we've been up to and all the things we love to discuss because we are who we are. <laughs> um, first, I should just say I'm super tired today. Are you tired? I'm drowsy. That's that's real. I stayed up very late writing like a psychopathology paper. Not, I mean, it's all mood disorders and it was very late at night. So I st- sort of still feel like I'm in that. It's not the best space, but I feel like I can turn it around. Okay. It's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is pretty early right now. So I think maybe by the time we're done recording, we'll both be like, let's Let's crush the day. Ready to take on the world. Yeah. I did my thing where I woke up at three o'clock this morning. It, it, it's happening less frequently now where I wake up in the middle of the night for a couple hours, but it still happens. So last night was one of those nights I like opened my eyes and like, okay, it's still dark out. Is it 530 or is it two? And I looked at the clock. It was 315. I was like, 
darn, it's three. <laughs> and yeah, that's so, just not far enough. No, it's not. So I ended up listening to a parenting podcast for an hour and then I went back to bed <laughs> until like 7.30. So, you know, it's it's all good. But I think I need like a week of sleep just straight. I think I'm just exhausted. And so I hear every- you have a 19-month-old. That's <laughs> what I hear in that. Yeah. Yes. So that's happening. And I, I just feel like everybody right now is saying that like, just a level of exhaustion that's just always there just because we're almost a year into the pandemic. And I think that is just really wearing everybody out on top of all the changes in life. And yeah, it's just like a low level anxiety, fear thing. That's just back there all the time. And it's harder to figure out how to refuel right now. It's not impossible, but a lot of the things that a lot of us turned to, to refuel, we thought we were pressing pause on, but now the pause feels more like a stop. You know, so if you're at all extroverted or just rely on any kind of connection with people, well, now how do you do that? And I don't know, but that's my, that's my rejuvenation time. So not having it has felt like, okay, I can, I can, I can persevere. And yeah, a year is a hard time. The season winter is already challenging in that way. And we're here, we are at midwinter and yet it's midwinter. Like we're past midwinter. The the days are getting so much lighter. It's going to be fine. We're going to be okay. It's just that we have to continue on this path for a while longer. That's true. And also finding things that pique my curiosity and keep my brain engaged in new ways has been important to me too. Like finding podcasts on subjects that I've been interested in for a while, but haven't necessarily like taken the time to listen to or reading articles from different types of websites on just things that kind of, you know, get my brain working in a different way. That has been a fun exercise for me lately. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't know what I'd do without curiosity. I think quarantine would be intolerable. Oh yeah. Definitely. So why don't we jump into uh, the quotes? We haven't hit the quotes from our quote bucket in a couple episodes. And I know that we have some good stuff floating in around, around in there. Do you want to share one first? Yeah. I mean, I know you brought two. So I did. I, well, I pulled one and then I was like, oh, this is so good. I wonder what else is in there. <laughs> so then I pulled another one. And so I have two. Yeah. Yeah. It's um it's this is it's pretty, it's it's pretty messy. I start pulling one and yeah, it does feel like I want to pull all of them. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna pull I pulled a bell hooks quote first though. So bell hooks, feminist author, activist, leader, um, and an amazing writer such an amazing writer. So if you haven't read Bell Hooks before and you're like, well, that's an older book on feminism, totally get all about love because it's totally worth it. Here's a quote. Um, to be loving, we will we will hear each other's truth. And most important, we will affirm the value of truth telling. Lies may make people feel better, but they do not help them to know love. Mm. That's a yeah. good one. Yeah. I, you know me, I have a, I have a, a particular fondness for truth telling. And I love this quote because it fits into my imagination of what love is. It fits into like what, how I feel loved is to hear the actual feelings and stories and truth that people have behind their feelings about me. Right. I like, I don't, I want to hear the whole mess. I don't want to hear just the, the nice, easy stuff. So it works for me, but I, but I also hear the, the trouble that that must've been like to, to, to come to realize that 
saying the nice things that make people feel better isn't necessarily loving. You have to balance that with being so blunt that you're cruel. And it's not, it's not necessarily, I mean, this is a thing we get frustrated with teenagers about, right? Because they, they can't navigate or, okay, in my house where there are all these teenagers where they don't know how to navigate yet. Do I be, do I be nice or do I be honest or do I be polite? What, what's the rule? We have to learn how to be nuanced that way. But I love what she wrote. I love this. And it's super helpful to me. Do you have any tricks that you use for telling the truth in a way that doesn't make the other person feel turned off? Yeah. I mean, I think the first one is the, it's the thing we hear all the time. And so it's, it can be frustrating. It's the use I statements, right? If you, if you start your feeling statements and your observations from a, I hear like when, when, when you do X or when I feel, and then I bring, I bring it back to myself and center my experience. But the other thing that I, I do is I use some scholarly equivocation. (laughs) I say, it seems like perhaps, or correct me if I'm wrong. And, and I just invite them, uh, the person into the conversation of, I might have this wrong, so please let me know, but this is what I'm seeing. And those softening, um, aspects of my language, they weren't present 10 years ago. So I, I feel the difference very readily it for me, because I was so blunt and so brash all the time. I so easily feel how, Oh, there are much better ways to phrase things in order to still be honest. Cause I still am super, super honest. Um, but I can, I can do it from a, in a way that allows people to feel like I'm still taking very seriously their perspective their, their place in their own story, which is right at the center. It's their story. Um, it's been much better for my relationships. <laughs> yeah. I love that. One of my favorite places to start those kinds of sentences is I'm trying to understand and then say the thing, because that truthfully is where I'm coming from 99% of the time. I really don't understand the other person, what they're saying or what their, um, their goal is. And so it feels honest to start that way. And it's also less threatening to start that way. Yeah. And if you're, if you're talking about relationships with people that you're having over and over again, you know, the, like these are core relationships, hopefully you learn each other's phrases. And so, you know, like this is, this is the phrase, this is the thing that they say in order to, in order to make sure that I know that they're, they're, they have, they're, they are assuming goodwill. They, they know that we want to get on the same page. So they're like little cues that tip us off to, oh, okay. We actually do want to get onto the same page. We just have to have a hard conversation because there's something between us that feels like at the very least a lie, mm-hmm. right? And something can, I mean, Ken and I talk about this all the time. I, I like the word lie. It's very crisp. And, it, and a lot of people hate it because they want to imagine that that there is no such thing as a lie. There's only ever perspective, but I just can't get into that, that level of relative relativism for me. Like some things are lies, which doesn't mean you won't tell them. Like sometimes, sometimes the lie is worth the cost, right? It's, it's worth whatever it costs you to, to, to hold. I don't know. It's really, really tricky for me. I get tangled up because honesty has been paramount in building healthy relationships for me. 
but so has learning how to carefully navigate telling truths. Not simple. Yeah. No, none of it is. Also, sometimes you could be lying to yourself, but think you're telling the truth. Oh yeah. There's, <laughs> there's a study on that. Um, this, I can't remember what the TEDx, I can't remember who it was. I'll have to look it up. She studied for like four years, self-awareness. She's, and the numbers turned out to be, um, it, 95% of people believe that they're self-aware. And on a good day, only 10 to 15% of people are self-aware, which means on on, the, on a good day, 80% of us are lying to ourselves about whether we're lying to ourselves. So I, I just have to imagine that, you know, in general, we all fall into that category. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, radical honesty is harsh, but then there's actually digging in and saying, I'm, I'm willing to face the, the things I'm lying to myself about. Yeah. And I think one thing I notice about myself is sometimes I'm very self-aware in some situations and in other situations, I'm not self-aware at all. So it's not yeah. like I can come out and say, oh, I'm always self-aware because I'm really not. It's really dependent on the situation. Right. And the, and it's dependent on, on the, on the part of your life and where your growth is at in that part of your life. And then what's happening, the context matters so much. Like if you're feeling safe and secure in a bunch of areas of your life, it feels easier to me to be self-reflective in a way that is, is honest and faces the darkness faces shadow. But if I'm not feeling safe and secure for whatever reason, even if that reason is just like the power's out and it's cold where I am, then it, it becomes much easier to slip into habits of telling myself things that aren't true or not being aware of where I'm showing up in, um, in falsehood in, in like, not in my real honesty with myself, with others. Yeah. It's basic Maslow stuff, right? Like, yeah. Got to have safety met first and yeah. then yeah. Sharing our truth can be so exposing. Well, I didn't realize we could do a whole episode on your quote, but I think we oh. can. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, quotes, man. That's, I think for the future, if we ever are stuck and we don't have an, uh, an episode topic, we'll just pull a quote. Just pull a quote and we'll go. It'll be great. So one of the quotes I picked was from Broken Open from Elizabeth Lesser's book. Cause I think probably the bulk of the quotes I have in my quote bucket are from her book. It is, I accept now that the point of life is not to reach perfection, but to befriend the fact that human beings are a work in progress. Mm-hmm. which was, which would have been an excellent quote for our episode on perfectionism, but I think always applies. Always. Well, I mean, what did we say this week? Everything is a practice in not, <laughs> in rejecting perfectionism. Yeah. Because the, the impulse, even though, even though the, the impulse feels so obvious, well, perfectionist doesn't work. But being, being an objectively determined sense of right, it doesn't, it doesn't work, but well, removing that flag post of perfection as the goal, then it asks the question, what is the flag? What is the goal? Where are yeah. we heading if we're not heading for perfection? And I think it, it reminds me of people saying life isn't about the, the destination. It's about the journey. So if we remove the desire for an end point for a goal and we instead think about, well, just enjoying each day and learning from each day, it feels like a lot less pressure. And it feels like we're not actually striving for anything in particular, except just to be here right now. 
and maybe to feel some joy. But then it also reminds me of Cindy Lee Alves's quote, just have the day you need to have. It doesn't have to be about joy and about fun and about feeling good. It could just be about whatever it needs to be that day. <laughs> right. So I, I'm hearing you talk about presence, about yeah. being present to whatever is. And I've been struggling lately with how do I hold that next to being in a time of, of growth and development, like wanting to build my business, wanting to, um, you know, accomplish certain like discrete tasks. Like there are things like, like if you're on a path to a degree, there are things that you do to get there and you have to, you have to, you have to pass those goalposts. So they're externally set. Right. And then there's the internal ones. You're building a business and you, you decide to launch new products or whatever. How do you, how do you determine what is good enough or what is the day you need to have? And how do you just stay present to the whatever and simultaneously be moving toward these predetermined goals? Well, I think you're actually doing what you're talking about right now because you've been working on building your business. And I would say almost every day or every other day, you send me a text saying, oh, I figured something else out that I want to do differently. Oh, I just figured out that I can work with X clients in a week and I'm going to switch my schedule around so I can accommodate that. And, oh, I'm actually going to work on Saturdays and take days off on Sunday. And so I think what you're talking about, your question is actually the way that you're living. It's about recognizing what's working and what's not and making small tweaks con constantly without having the goal of I'm going to have the perfect schedule. The, the goal right. is I'm going to build something that works for me so that every day when I wake up and I look at what I have on tap, I'm excited about it or it's what I want to be doing and versus I'm trying to make the perfect business. Yeah. I'm laughing now because I'm, I, so when we did record the perfectionist episode, the, that whole, what we talked about, um, course correcting, like when you're in a relationship, you want to be able to do small course corrections to get back toward a feeling. And you just described it exactly. Like, so in my business, I know how to do that. And in my relationship, I know how to do that. And the place where I don't know how to do that is in my judgment of myself. Like, it, it, so it's very, very specific. Like if I could simply set down my judgment of whether I'm doing things right or wrong, I'm pivoting and I'm course correcting along the way, fine. But the, but the external judger is, is loud, very loud in my head. Yeah. Super. Is your Maybe, judger loud? Uh, yeah. <laughs> loud. I mean, is there another word that goes above loud? I'm not sure what that Yeah. Like <laughs> a vibration so deep, it penetrates your body. <laughs> Imagine standing next to the Liberty Bell when they when they hit the. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Yeah, that's my internal judger. Yeah, it's it's pretty strong, and I'm constantly in dialogue with it and trying to recognize what part of me is running the show and what what part of me maybe could be um, in charge instead, like a higher self versus like a wounded version of myself that seems to wanna uh, scold me consistently if I'm not working ninety nine percent of my waking hours. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm always working on that. And it's funny, you know, when we first started recording 15 minutes ago or so, I was feeling like, I don't know if I'll be able to get through this episode because I'm so tired. But as we started talking about this subject, I feel all of a sudden like so energized. Mm -hmm. And I felt the click happen as you were asking your question just a second ago about like, what do you do if you feel like you're striving for perfection? And so um, I wanted to acknowledge, I feel like I'm very self-aware right now. <laughs> Yeah. 
part that, of that 10%. Way to go. Yeah. It feels like this is one of the subjects where I feel most in the zone. It gets me really excited to talk about and to think about because it's like, this is what life is about, like getting through every day and thinking about how to spend our time. And are we doing it in a way that feels um, true and real and and I don't I want to use these the word right but we're in charge of it and sometimes it feels like we're not and right for you yeah right for you and I always say to myself like I own this business yet I feel like I have a boss who's constantly trying to crush me and I am my boss so it's like never ending so you do (laughs) she's a hard ass she is (laughs) I have the most difficult boss in the world and yet I have full yeah. control over my boss at the same time. It's very confusing. So this, this topic is, is ripe for me. And I think for so many people, especially even if you have, if you have a, a boss, you work for somebody else, it's still like you get to control how you show up and the thoughts you have and the way that you approach things. And right now, I think this, like the pandemic does kind of give us that opportunity to really sit with that because we do spend more time alone or at home or, you know, with less stimulus, um, out in the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it feels like movement just to notice it in the moment. Yeah. Credit to you. Thank you. (laughs) I wanted to share another quote. Do you have another quote before I jump in? No, go for it. Bring it. it Cause I could go, I I think any of my quotes may be a full dive. Yeah. I'm nervous. Well, as I mentioned on a past episode, I took a Feldenkrais workshop on on one of the weekends. And at one point they, the facilitators shared a quote from Feldenkrais himself. And I can't remember what the context was. I don't remember. This is what happens all the time with me with quotes. I just hear something. I'm like, I need to write that down, but I can't remember anything else that was going on. So here's the quote, make the impossible possible the possible easy and the easy pleasurable. Mm. I'm going to read it again because I love it so much. Make the impossible possible, the possible easy and the easy pleasurable. I like it. Yeah. I could, I could use more of that. Yeah. And I, I think I have been all year. This has been a strange year for everybody, but so many of us have made, maybe literally everyone, we have made seemingly impossible things. You go back to March of 2020 and just the imagination of the way that we were going to have to adapt things, it felt impossible. And yet there it was. I found myself making sour cream because I was like, we don't have sour cream. There's no access to I made sour cream. I made tortillas like from scratch. And it's not that I didn't know how to do those things before, but those were outside of the realm of possible in my brain. Right. And then there were big, huge things like you're a public speaker, but you pivoted and found like a way to keep things moving. That's, that's a huge pivot. That's like, that is making the impossible possible. Yeah. And, and I guess I'm yeah still in the phase of how to make it pleasurable because it is such a pivot. And I, and one thing I've learned in this time period is that I really enjoy the energy of an audience. And I I think I knew that before, but I didn't know it as much as I know it now sitting in front of a computer all day Mm -hmm. and how less uh, rewarding it is to have that division with a screen and to now think, okay, where else can I find the pleasure in the work if I don't have that piece? So there's more exploration to do, I'd say. Yeah. I'm feeling that with teaching, with speaking, all the, it's so different. 
the connection feels different. I wonder if we're actually adapting, like, like on a really micro level, if we're adapting to connection through screen, you know, I know that we bemoan the screen, but, but here we are, this is a reality and we don't know what our children's children's children will need or how their lives will look. Right. So I wonder if this is the adaptation to really starting to actually get that pleasure from a connection through screen. Yeah. Like, like a faster, like, like moving much faster than it would have typically moved. Yeah. Maybe. (laughs) So what's going on for you this week? I am study, study, study. And then in between study, 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 I am just trying to read things that are actually pleasurable and, and fun for me. So I have this huge stack of books. Okay. There, there are lots of huge stacks of books. I have this stack of books and I have been this week just picking them up and reading like chapters rather than worrying about reading any particular book. So honestly, all that's going on for me right now is that I'm just just trying to continue on with speaking and talking to people and connecting with people and then getting this input from these people who took the time to write their words down, develop their thoughts, and then I can just drop into their world at any moment, even if that world infuriates me. <laughs> I picked up Cassandra Speaks again. I I, I love Elizabeth Lesser, amazing, and oi, this is harsh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you have inspired me to get back to that book and it's not that I wasn't reading it cause I didn't like it. It's because like I said, I'm working so much that by the time the end of the day comes, the last thing I want to do is read something really heavy. That's going to be thought provoking and then keep me up for four more hours. Yeah. So I haven't been reading it, but I'm going to, I'm going to get back into it because as you're reminding me, it's so powerful and it, it's so, so aligned with what we're doing. And I want to get back into that. Yeah. It's reminding me too, of how I love to weave the, my depth psychological learning into the rest of my work rather than treat them as two separate things, Mm -hmm. um, which is tempting because the, the business perspective and the, when I'm public, when I'm speaking publicly, it's easier to leave that stuff out and to not try to explain the metaphor or explain the, the mythological roots of something, but Elizabeth does it really beautifully. So it's a good example for me of how to not draw an artificial line. There's, I don't actually have to cut that part of myself off. So working on practicing that. Yeah. I love that. Well, it's been interesting now doing this podcast with you for two months because I'm realizing that what we're building is so much different from what I was building. What we're doing is almost like a morning show where we're, (laughs) we're talking about our lives and we're sharing. There are fewer high heels. Are people no. wearing high heels? Oh, are you talking it's about like, like morning shows? Like there's like the, those women are all put together and then they have high heels on them. I'm like, it's five o'clock in the morning. How are they doing that? Oh, I was thinking of a radio show. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. That's, are you, that's are you thinking of like the today to show? I'm thinking of the today show and I'm really nervous. I'm like, <laughs> no way. not block those heels. Can't do it. <laughs> it's way too much makeup and hair. It's and, a lot. It's yeah. Cool. I was thinking of a morning radio show and how they come on and they have choreographed topics, but they haven't talked about them yet. They just kind of know the flow of the episode and they are thinking about what they're going to put into the show when they're not on the show. And I've noticed that I'm spending a lot more time thinking about 
when things happen in my life, oh, is that something I want to share on the podcast versus before, which was more like, what topic do I want to cover and which guests do I want to bring on? So yeah. it's like, it's taken on a whole new life in my, in my life and I'm enjoying it. It's a fun new approach to this. And I guess one of the things that I was, that happened last week that I was like, should I bring this up on the podcast? <laughs> was related to online dating and going on an in-person date on a walk. And the first few minutes of the date was nice. We were just having a conversation. And then all of a sudden he says, so. (laughs) And that's nothing, nothing awesome is going to be right after that. If your so has more than two O's. I know. Yeah. If it lasts more than three seconds, brace yourself. He, this was our third date. He says, so the other woman I'm dating and I decided last night that we're going to be monogamous. And I wasn't, I don't know why, but I'm like, what is, so is he saying that he doesn't want to date me anymore? Like it didn't, he didn't say that. He just said he wanted to be monogamous. So then I had to figure out what that meant. Yeah. It's an awkward moment for sure. Like, wait, so we're on a date now, right? (laughs) Does that mean I'm the other woman right now? Wait, what happened? Did I, did I trip and fall into somebody's monogamy agreement? So I, I didn't say anything. We were walking side by side. So I just kept on looking at the ground and listening. And he's like, yeah, you know, we, we just decided that we're going to take this to the next level and we're going to get more serious. And, you know, I, I, hang on, I want you to finish the story, but we're going to make, be more serious as though, (laughs) Ethically non-monogamous relationships can't be serious. And we're going to take this to the next level as though monogamy is the obvious next level. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm just, I just want to introduce those questions as if. I know. I love how. Per- you- let's let, let that percolate. That's all. That's all. <laughs> and he's like, I was up all night thinking about it and just trying to decide what to do. Cause I, re- I really enjoyed getting to know you. And I guess this, this is going to change things, but I would like to be friends with you. And I don't know if you want to still continue the date. <laughs> I was like, oh my, okay, this is a first. I've never been broken up with. I've actually never been broken up with since sixth grade. I've every relationship I've been in, I've ended. Um, besides that one time when my husband came home and was like, so I don't want to be married anymore. But then that he was came a back- big one. You got yours all in it was all like wrapped together. <laughs> but then he came back a few months later and was like, just kidding. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, that was shocking. This was l- way less shocking, but still kind of shocking. Cause I thought, why, why are we on the date right now? If you knew this last night <laughs> and he said, you know, if you'd still like to hang out, we can just keep stay on the date. And I, and he said, what do you think? And I said, well, I'm surprised and, uh, yeah, I'd like to be friends and I guess we can stay on the date. <laughs> we'll just keep walking. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, and I said, I guess I need to think differently about my mindset. Cause I was going to like show him a picture of Max. I had never shown him a picture of Max. And I was going to talk to him about like more, I don't know, personal things. And now I'm like, yeah. well, I guess I'm not going to do that. <laughs> it was really weird. I appreciated it's, his honesty, you know? Right. Yeah. Like honesty is always the best policy in dating. There, there is no exception to that rule. Yeah. And, and yet the complication. So the, I mean, this, this person, what had been dating you, not from the perspective of he was dating a bunch of people, but from the perspective of I'm polyamorous. And yeah. that's like, so it's not as though you were expecting. So if one of the other 
lovely humans who you've been chatting with had said, oh, I'm monogamous with somebody, you probably would have seen that co potential coming because none of them had declared their, their identity as being polyamorous. Yeah. So I can, I think that that adds to the confusion. Also mm -hmm. not having been dumped enough. You just didn't have the exposure. This is just like exposure therapy. It's you'll be fine. Yeah. You'll be fine. Right. Like th this is so minor. You're out for a walk. He's like, so let's be friends. So it doesn't change a lot because you weren't like what was going to happen anyways. You're like masked and walking and it doesn't change a lot. No, really didn't. But it, but it does bring up the question. What exactly is the difference between somebody you're friends with and somebody you're dating? begs the question. Just don't get to see a picture of my kid right now. Right. <laughs> really and hopefully you won't get pictures of any sensitive things in his life either. Wait, it's, <laughs> it feels like, like there are lines, right? But the lines are totally personal. They're yeah. to So the reason your pictures of your child are so personal are because you have a face anonymous child on social media. Yeah. Cool. But since my kids' pictures, like, we didn't even know about that. We were just like willy-nilly posting photos because we didn't think at all in the early 2000s about what that meant at all. So that wouldn't occur to me as being a sensitive thing. You have a whole new th set of things to think about because mm -hmm. we're so much smarter now than we were 20 years ago. Yeah. Thank goodness. Yeah. My poor children. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to share that too because it was an ex opportunity for me to just practice um, changing my expectations and yeah. also getting more familiar with what my expectations were. Because I, when I entered online dating, it wasn't with the intention of like, I'm going to find a husband. It was more like, well, let's just see what happens. And I started to notice that I was building an attachment to him and mm -hmm. then to decide, okay, that attachment needs to be a different level or there needs to be a different Label. type of attachment. Yeah. To how, how did I reorganize that in my brain? And so it took me a day or so to kind of figure that out. And, and right after we had that conversation, I was, I also had a date on zoom that night and he was like, so tell me about the guy you're going on a date with tonight. What are you wearing? I was like, okay, this, <laughs> <laughs> this is really, and then he texted me the next morning and was like, how did your date go? <laughs> so really he's funny. practiced his polyamorous etiquette. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. He's, yeah. he's practiced it. It, I think that this is a fascinating topic and I'm glad you talked about it because there isn't a right or wrong here, but you're having internal conversations with yourself about what it means to be in relationship. There is that one story that we think exists out there in the world, except it's not. It's actually, okay, I'm dating. Well, what does that mean? Are you dating one person at a time? Are you dating lots of people? What does it mean to make a commitment to somebody or to have a relationship with them? And what is the difference between friendship and dating? And is it that you get on the relationship escalator? That escalator has a very predetermined like shape and like direction. And if it is, then how come we don't do that with our friendships? Yeah. I, I don't know. Or maybe we do, but does it lead somewhere different? And do both people know that it's leading somewhere different? It's super complicated. It I is. complicate everything. So no. I'm appreciating how much you complicate your own life because it makes me feel like I'm not alone in how, how complicated these things get in my head. Well, as you're saying that, I'm thinking to myself, if he is my friend, then why wouldn't I want him to see a picture of Max? Like all of a sudden I'm like, well, you can't, you can't see right. what my son looks like because we're only friends. I don't know. Yeah. You're, you're bringing up good questions. Yeah, Cause so. if that's the score then I'm definitely dating you. Cause I have pictures of Max that I, on my, on my phone for months, months, right. 
Right. So if that's the, if that's the label, I appreciate that. Like you have a lot of very serious relationships in that I case. Do. I do. Oh like my God. I'm very dating, serious. Yeah. I'm dating like 40 people right now. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of women, <laughs> like a lot, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I like it. So you just, you just self-determined what the, the rule is. It's the oh, pictures. Yeah. I like it. All right, so I, I, I need to go lie down. If know. that's your, like, I don't want to say that. It's like, that's your dick pic. Like, oh, we went to that next <laughs> level and I shared this. Like, that's not good. He's adorable. Don't put him in that category. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I just, I don't even know what to say to that. That's I know there's nothing. Yeah. I went there. I shouldn't have. <laughs> this is what happens when I'm tired. I can't stay up this late and write. This is not good. Why does academic writing have to happen so late at night? But it just does. Yeah. Well, I'm really looking forward to the Claim the Stage Clubhouse slumber party now. So Yes. Oh, I will be <laughs> tragically open. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to spend time in your hot tub on yes. Saturday. So maybe we should start the slumber party on Clubhouse that yeah, night. Yeah, we can do that. <laughs> Our first actual in-person anything for like months and months and months. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So I also finished Shit's Creek on the other night and that, that was so emotional. And mm -hmm. I, I, I really spent time processing the series, which I don't normally do when I end a show. I'm like, okay, well, moving on, what else is on Netflix? But with this show, I did take the time to think about it. And I don't know if you guys did this, but I thought about what it meant to me and why I was so attached to it and why I actually bought a t-shirt from the show, which I don't normally <laughs> I don't really go to that level of fangirl, but the thing that stood out to me was that the show had so much heart and that David Rose or Daniel Levy brought so much heart to the show, to the writing of the show, to the direction, to just the, the storylines, to the characters. And it was so palpable throughout watching this, the characters journeys to kind of becoming more of who they were before they got completely like caught up in the world of fashion and money and travel and, you know, celebrity. And instead had to get back to like, oh, they actually are good people who are just like, kind of like everyone else, like trying to do their best and wanting good things for themselves and their families and others. And all of that starts to emerge. And it is a story about family and about friendship and about love. And I think that's probably, those are the, my favorite themes. So I think that's what I loved most about the show. And when I watched the behind the scenes, the making of the last season, and they showed all the fans and how excited they were to see them, I totally got that. I'm like, I would be freaking out if I saw any of the cast in real life. Totally. <laughs> and you bonded with them. I am. I really am. And it's just, that show was really special. And it, it, the, th the thought that I had was, I want to bring that same level of heart to what I do. I really want people to feel my love come through in what I do. And I wondered if I do that or not. I, I don't really know how I would know that, but I mean, I get a lot of feedback and emails and stuff from people who say like, how Speaker Sisterhood has changed their life or how they appreciate the curriculum. And but I wonder if they get that same feeling that I got from the show. Cause that's well, the feeling I want everyone to have. Yeah. Well, I at least got the fangirl feeling. Like when I, when I first realized that you were the Angela, I got, I was like <laughs> the Angela, wait, oh no, now what do I do? And so then every time I talked to you, I was like, I'm talking too much. I, I should, I should stop talking that went for like months, months. So I think you do engender a certain, um, 
fascination because you've made something that speaks to people on a heart level. It, it's, it does. it's way past um, what it might. I'm not sure there's a way to sum it up the way that you would sum up like Toastmasters or something, you know, like you just sum it up in a sentence. Yeah. I can't, I can't quite do that because it's more of a feeling, more of an experience. Would you say it's on the level of Shit's Creek experience? I would say it's Shit's Creek experience. Though. Oh my God. Are you serious? I totally would. Because <laughs> And because each person's going to, they get out of it what they need. So yeah. people go to these different clubs and they're all different. You've written different books and different ones speak to people at different places in their journey. Each speech becomes this like little place we drop into and some of them were like, I'm just doing this speech. I don't understand it. And then others were so moved. And that's exactly the kind of level that I feel when I, and yes, I processed that show. Of course I processed that show. You have to process that show. And I processed speaker sisterhood meetings for, yeah, the first year I had to process them every time I came home from one. So clearly special. Okay. I don't know why this all of a sudden is making a lot of sense to me. Like the level that my work can touch people maybe because now I've felt it in the other from another perspective (laughs) but I feel really awesome right now (laughs) you should you should feel awesome you've made some amazing amazing things and they're not amazing because they stand alone they're not amazing because they sit on a bookshelf they're amazing because of how they make people feel Mm. and I don't know I have also gotten to watch people interact with you that's, that's what I do most of the time is watch people. So I have watched people respond to you in that way that it, there's stars in their eyes and they're all like, there's all twinkles around. And that, that is both about you and about something much bigger than you. That's this, this big archetypal quality that you're carrying around because you birthed this huge, glorious experience into their life. You, you brought something much bigger than, than your just your individual into the world. Wow. Goddess-like quality woman. Wow. Would you say I'm the David Rose of speaker sisterhood? I would say that I'm the David Rose of speaker sisterhood. <laughs> that's like, that's speaker the best. apothecary. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I just have to say the roses in his logo do look just like the roses on the cover of the secret life. Of they speaking. do. <laughs> they do. Well, so you, sh- you got, you sh- showed me the, the shirt that you got. I already bought you the the sweatshirt for your birthday. That exact like, that exact pattern. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, she beat me to it. It w- because I saw them and I thought the roses and the, ro- the the whole thing. Yeah, of course you needed that. You know that I really until this exact moment had no idea how powerful Speaker Sisterhood was. <laughs> okay, people, email Angela and tell her how powerful it is. I think her email box needs to be flooded with the love. I think it needs I mean, to happen. No, I, it needs to happen. Okay. All right. Yeah. Just okay. believe me, Angela at speakersisterhood.com. <laughs> that needs to happen. I wasn't intending for this to go in this direction, but I <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know what though? You have you have watched me building something new and you've been so supportive, but there is something really magic about about allowing something to become like its next phase you like 
Speaker sisterhood exists, claim the stage exists, but you're allowing them to, to grow into their the next phase, whatever it has to happen, because we live in this world now, because the world has changed. Celebrating my children becoming adults has been way more exciting for me than any of their like first, second, third birthdays. Hmm. It feels kind of like that to me. Like, oh, these, these, these things that you brought into being, they're growing up and you're growing up with them. It's of course you're awesome. <laughs> Thanks. <Love that>. And, <laughs> I hope everyone else is enjoying this as much as I am. <laughs> Well, I really appreciate that. And I do feel like the company and everything is evolving as I'm evolving. And that is one of the more fun things about having a business like this. If I was making sponges or, you know, t-shirts, I don't know that I would have the same level of joy because I get to continue to craft it as, as I learn. And that's really cool. So one of the things I wanted to share really quickly before we jump into the episode is a little bit more about the course that's coming out because this, I did teach this course over the fall. It's called online presenting made easy. And it was sort of the pilot and it was a chance for me to roll out a lot of my public speaking advice, but in an online context. And I'm, I'm rolling it out again next week on March 8th at launches. And this is a chance for me to do what I love to share this this work that helps women to find their voice and feel more comfortable sharing their ideas and their message and their um, experiences with their audience and be able to accomplish their goals through the power of public speaking. And as I was thinking about teaching this course and, and the content I'm putting in it, I was like, okay, the content is useful and it's important, but I'm not actually fired up about the content in particular. What I'm mostly fired up about is the journey I'm going to take these women on and the outcome. And that is that they will feel more confident and able to say yes to more opportunities and to be able to sell more effectively and to connect with their audience in a stronger way without being afraid. And they'll be able to get on conference stages whenever we're able to get on stage again and host their own workshops and present themselves in a way where they feel good and they feel confident and they don't feel like, am I doing this right? I don't even know what I'm, is this, is this okay? And releasing themselves from a lot of that hesitation. And that's what really gets me excited about these types of courses, the ones that are more about the mechanics of speaking and not so much about the, the bigger piece of like, what is this all going to mean once you're better at this? So we, we talk about that, but really it's about um, just like getting over a lot of those little fears because we don't know the technology or we don't know how to build a talk that's going to be effective. Or we don't know how to engage with the audience in a way that will keep them interested and not looking at their phone or wondering when it's going to end. So that's huge. Well, how did you, how did you tweak and, and shift things? I, you got to teach it. You taught it once in this form and this is your core material anyways. I mean, I've seen you talk about this in so many different ways, but I also, I got to, I got to view a couple of those classes and just see what they were like in that original form. How did you tweak it to make it? Cause I know you, you're always perfecting without reaching for perfectionism. You're always perfecting your craft. What did you, what's so much like what caught your attention and said, Oh, I want to make that even better. Um, it was 
sitting in on Zoom meetings with, um, mm-hmm. you know, just anybody really and seeing, oh, wow, a lot of people really have no idea how to do this. And I, even though I've seen some of these people present in real life, they're not able to translate their skills to the screen because they don't know how to set up their computer and their desk and their lighting. And so all of that is holding their presentation back because you can barely see their facial expressions or they're sitting too close or too far away. And realizing that presenting online is an art form in itself. And and just being able to get comfortable with sitting in front of a screen, like I said, because you don't have that feedback from your audience in the same way. You don't feel the energy of the room. So I realized this is a real problem that needs to be solved. And I know I can solve it. So I need to just take a lot of the stuff I was doing and then add some extra stuff about the technology and how things change for the online experience and then offer it and, you know, make it easy and accessible. And one of the things that's different about this course versus a lot of the other stuff I see offered online, like online workshops is first of all, it's live. So you can ask questions, but second of all, I built in practice time into each class. So after you learn what I, what I'm showing you, you get a chance to actually do it and you get feedback from other women in the course. So instead of taking what you learn in the class and then going and practicing it with your boss or practicing it with your team or your clients, you get to practice it with the other women who are learning right alongside you. So it's less scary and there is nothing on the line because no one's going to say, you know what, we're going to actually take you off payroll because (laughs) (laughs) that was really significantly troubled. (laughs) I like the practice because it is so hard to build another thing into our lives. So I'm liking that you're including that right right in the course, because if you, if you gave homework and said, okay, now go give that talk to someone. So now I have to do whatever I need to do between, but I also need to find somebody else who's willing to be on the other end of a screen, listening to me. That's it. That's another barrier. Right. And it's nice to build that in. That sounds really cool. Yeah. And I've given that homework before and I've found that very few people take me up on it. Like if I say, go to work tomorrow and ask a couple coworkers over lunch to sit in a conference room with you and deliver your speech to them while they eat lunch and ask them for feedback. Very few people want to do that. It's like to put yourself out there and to ask someone, Hey, on your lunch break, would you be willing to listen to me? Give a speech? <laughs> like That's scary enough to ask that question, but then to actually go through with it it's, it's, yeah, it's not something a lot of people want to do. So giving them the chance to do it right there, it makes it a lot easier. And, you know, speaker sisterhood is specifically set up to give you a practice space and a community where you can present yourself in a way that no matter what happens, everything is okay. But I don't really want to say, okay, sign up for this course. And then I'll also sign up for a club right away. And then, you know, I want to, I wanted to put it right in the experience. So it's, it's right there. And you know, that's so familiar. So my, I got so much out of sitting with my club and, and listening and watching and participating in it. So it became obvious to me after I had practiced with other people and had, had explored that, then it became obvious that I wanted a community to do that with and to be able to do that in the class, to get a taste of it, to like get that little taster feels really powerful, not just, um, not just, oh, this is a thing you could do too, but here, this is what it feels like. So what's your other favorite thing about it? Um, it's that around halfway through the course last time, at least I noticed everyone's expression started to change from like kind of, um, 
scared and questioning and what am I going to do with this content to, I have an idea. I know how to put this content together. Now I understand who I'm trying to help. I understand the core of the message I'm trying to send. I know more about how to show up on the camera and and the expressions went more to like enthusiasm and confidence. And there was just a different energy. Like everyone just kind of felt like, yeah, this seems doable now. So I love that transformation, witnessing that transformation and knowing it's because I give really simple, straightforward, clear advice that applies to the things they're going to actually be doing. It's not all like concepts and like, well, if maybe if this happens, it's like, no, do the, exactly this, follow these steps, use this worksheet, use this template. Don't get bogged down in all this extra stuff. Just do this, these two steps that creates a lot less uncertainty. And when there's less uncertainty, it creates a lot more room for creativity and for action. And that's make the, the thing. Damn that, thing. Yeah, make just it. do the thing and <laughs> stop questioning yourself. Stop wondering, is this okay? It is okay. And the last class is actually where everyone puts together a little presentation that they were working on throughout the whole class. And that's my favorite part is watching people say, I have a presentation that I can now go give anywhere. I got feedback on it and I know I'm using the right templates and I'm following all the rules to make sure that this really connects with my audience. So I feel like they got something of real value that they can use again and again, and they can expand it. They can make it 20 minutes because they can just use the template in a different way. Mm -hmm. And that feels like a really valuable and useful skill set for any presenter to have. Yeah. And so many of us are part of our pivot right now is figuring out how to present information, some, some piece of something that we've got that's part of our life experience. And we're trying to figure out how to either market it or make sure that it reaches the audience that we want it to reach. And we have to do it online. So I'm loving that this is an opportunity to start honing a piece of really useful content right away. Not like, not just learning this in the abstract, but something that you can put into practice now. That's awesome. Yeah. So registration's open right now until March 7th, and then we'll start on March 8th and the class is four weeks. It's every Monday night from seven to eight thirty PM Eastern and the classes will all be recorded. So if anyone can't make it, they can catch it the next day. And uh, I'm going to put the link to the registration page in the show notes. So if anyone wants to get more information, learn and just read more about it, it'll all be in there. And if you have questions, you can always email me at Angela at speakersisterhood.com. Otherwise, I hope to see you in the class. And this episode today is going to answer questions about like how to set up your computer and your lighting, how to create engagement where when people don't have their camera on, how to build an instant connection with a virtual audience. If you hate being on camera, how to get over it. So there's a lot of questions that I answer on today's episode, but if you want a deeper dive and you want the chance to practice and to get specific instructions that will help you with what you're trying to build in your business or in your company, then this is the course for you. And I think um, I would look forward to seeing you in class. I have to say one more thing. Yeah. I have gotten to sit in your classes and, and learn from you. And I hope that the audience understands what a, a pleasure it is and, and how powerful it is to be in a live class. We are in, in this time where, you know, almost everything is pre-recorded, and there's so much, that's great. It's awesome and it's convenient, but to show up and actually be in class and connect with 
your class, your, your course mates absolutely, but connect with you and get direct feedback from somebody who has stood in the big scary rooms and somebody who's seen all the mistakes, like you've seen all of them. <laughs> that changed everything for me. Like it was sitting in, in a live class with you for, I don't know what, six weeks, I think was the course that I took with you six weeks and everything changed. A book came out of that. A TEDx speech came out of that. Um, all of the work I'm doing right now came out of that. And it was about investing the six weeks of live classes. Yes. Show up. I like, I, I didn't have any time for it. Didn't matter. Show up, do that. And then everything started to change, really changed my confidence. And yeah, I can't thank you enough. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> well, it all started with you signing up. You know, that's the first step is just having the courage to click the button saying, yeah, put me in this class and then jumping in. Yeah. Yeah. And so from both directions, whether you're scared because this sounds terrifying, like I don't want to speak, or I was like, I want, I want the big stage, bring it. But I actually had to admit, I don't know how I had to tell myself like, yeah, you're, you're a decent speaker, but you don't know what you're doing right now. So you're going to slow yourself down. Like stop getting out of your, get out of your own way and learn the steps and you make great framework. So, so like crisp, just do this. Don't read the 40 books. Cause I also have the 40 speaking books. I certainly have at least that many. Oh, okay. So instead of reading all of those books, I just listened to you. And then I had, Oh, there, there's my speech. (laughs) We should also add that you took that class before you knew me personally. Yeah, I did. And you know, now I'm here. So if you too (laughs) want to know Angela, (laughs) that's how you become friends with me. Yeah. It was just the stalking. Whatever. (laughs) I'll call it what it is. Well, thanks for stalking me. I mean, it really has worked out well for both of us. (laughs) Yeah. That was like, that was, that was quality stalking. It was. (laughs) You should do a class on stalking. Yes. Yeah. Like healthy (laughs) stalking. How to be a healthy stalker. Yeah. You know, pay artists for their time, treat their work with respect. These are very important concepts. <laughs> well, let me know when you have that put together. We'll do an episode about it. Sure. <laughs> good. Well, is there anything else you want to add before we move into the Q&A? No, I'm good. Go for it. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Enjoy the rest of the show and we'll see you next time. Let's get to the first question. This is a popular one. How do I set up my workspace? Simple. (laughs) It's a simple question with a long answer. First, let's talk about your camera. Has anybody looked up anyone's nose lately? I know I have. And it's very hard to pay attention to what someone is saying when you can count their nose hairs. And it's Awkward when you can actually see the roof of someone's mouth when they're talking. (laughs) It's not an angle you see often, but when you have your computer, your laptop on your desk, that means it is too low because we often sit above the desk. So now the camera is aiming up at you and the angle is not attractive or really interesting. It's not, it's not a, it's not a nice angle to be (laughs) watching you from. So what you want to do is have your camera at eye level. That means you want to prop your computer up on a box on your desk. And you might even want to take out a level and see and have it start at your eye and go all the way to your camera and see if the two are, are at the same height. 
because that will feel like you're actually sitting face to face with someone and having a conversation with them. Sometimes I see people sitting at their desk and they have, I think it's an external webcam that is above their camera and above their computer, excuse me, and it's aiming down at the presenter. And that too is very awkward because you would never have a conversation with someone like that, like standing over them. Maybe you would really quickly, but you wouldn't watch them give a whole presentation that way. It's also really hard to connect because you can't really see the person's face the way that you would if you were having that conversation. So I I level is the perfect place to have your camera so that you are connecting with the people who you're talking to. Lighting. This is a big one. You've probably heard of a ring light. If you haven't, it's basically a ring of light, (laughs) a circle of light on a tripod, and you can prop your your, uh, phone in the middle of it, or you can just put the tripod up behind in front of your desk so that the light is right behind your computer shining on your face. And these are really inexpensive and really easy to set up. And they have several different settings ranging from like bright fluorescent light to a a softer glow, like yellowish light, and then to like a blue light, which looks more like uh, sunlight. And you can even you can brighten it or dim it. And I think there's probably like 20 different lighting settings that you can determine based on where you're sitting and the other light in the room and any natural light coming in so that you look well lit and awake, but not so bright that you're looks like you're sitting on the sun. That's kind of distracting too. I got a ring light recently from Amazon. It was $35 and it does all the things I just said. And it was really easy to get you know, out of the box and set up. So if you've been worried or feeling like, oh, that's a lot of technology and extra stuff, and I don't want to have all this gear in my office, it's actually really small and really easy, and it makes a humongous difference. And I see a lot of people using overhead lights, and that also just creates weird shadows. And it's it's just not very attractive. It's similar to the camera up the nose angle. Having lighting to the left and right of you or right in front of you is the best way to light yourself so that it's a a comfortable amount of light and people can see your face, but it's not this dark shadow like you're a hollow, you know, you're like a figure from Halloween and people are going to be scared of the way that the shadows are cast on your face. Windows. I see a lot of people sitting with their back to windows, and I know we don't always have control over where our desk is, especially if you're at work and you have a cubicle or you, you know, your desk is stuck where it is, but if possible, turning the way that you're sitting so that you don't have a window behind you or closing the shades or curtains will help you immensely because what happens is the camera picks up all the light from the windows and then you're dimmed out and you're kind of just this dark shadowy figure. And it's really hard to watch someone speaking when you can't see their face. You can see their silhouette, but you just see windows and a silhouette. So you can avoid that by facing the windows or closing the shades. Also, when it comes to how you appear in your window on the computer, your camera should be right to the top of your head. I see people who are way at the bottom of their of the frame of the camera and it looks like they're being swallowed by quicksand. <laughs> it's like all you can see is like from their chin up and then there's like 
80% of the screen is all just what's above them. You want to have your head at the top of the video. That way people can see your whole face and your shoulders. And it's, it's more natural. They can even maybe see your hands at times too, depending on how you're using them in the, you know, for body language and expression. And so when you're setting up your camera, you want to have it at eye level, and then you also want to tilt the screen so that it's right at the top of your head. So those are my, my four tips for setting up your workspace so that you have an optimal kind of setup so that when people are watching you, it's pleasant and not distracting. Have your camera at eye level, have your lighting in front of you, be facing the windows, and have your head at the top of the frame and not at the bottom. Okay, so that was question number one. Question number two. I hold educational meetings for the community and many of the people I'm talking to don't turn on their camera. How can you create engagement when you can't see people? This is a great question. I'm sure a lot of people are are having the same exact problem. And what I want to say first is that remember that if you can't see them, they also can't see each other. And as the presenter, it's your job to create a sense of togetherness, even though you're all in separate places. So you can do this by asking good questions and using various tools. And I'll give you two ideas here now. One is using the polling feature in Zoom. And I know other um, web meeting platforms have this tool as well. But if you're using Zoom, it's such a great way to let everybody know kind of who's in the space. So you could right out the bat, you could ask the question, what part of town are you calling in from tonight? If, you know, this person in the question is holding educational meetings for the community, so this question makes sense. And in the polling feature, you would write in different sections of town, and then your audience would just click on the one that applies to them. And then you, you close the poll and then you announce to the group. You can either show the results or not. And if you show the results, then you can quickly make a couple comments because everyone can see it. Or you can just say what you learned from the poll. And that helps people know, oh, I have the people in my neighborhood who are on this call or there's people across town on the call. And then they feel like they're in the space together a little bit more and not just alone, like staring at a bunch of black boxes because no one has their camera on. Another way you could do a poll is let's say you're doing a workshop about job seeking. You could ask the question, when was the last time you searched for a job? And then have ranges like in the last six months, six months to a year, a year to two years. And then you have everyone do the poll and then you show the results. And it's another way for people to feel like they're together because they're realizing, oh, I'm in a group with a bunch of other people who are also job searching. And some people haven't done this for a while. Some of the people are like me and have done this recently. And it just, again, brings that level of togetherness. So a second thing you can do is have people write answers to questions you ask in the chat box and then read them aloud. So you would use what they tell you to deliver more content and helpful information. An example question is, what have you found most challenging about your job search? This is a great question because it brings your audience together because they get to see what other people are struggling with. And you know, depending on whether or not you make the chat visible to everyone, they will either see the answers or you're gonna say them out loud and then address some of those challenges. And again, people feel like, oh, we're all kind of having some of the same challenges or we're having some of the same 
goals and then you can, you know, approach what they're telling you in order to, so you can build a presentation that really speaks to them. And these really simple things you can do in the first 10 or 15 minutes and right away you build the community by getting everybody talking a little bit through the tools. And then you can do another set of these questions 20 minutes in or at the end. And you're not just talking at them, but you're actually engaging them in different ways, even though you can't see them. So the two examples I gave you were using the polling feature in Zoom and having people write answers to questions in the chat box. Third question. How can I build an instant connection with a virtual audience? I want to have an engaging opening, and usually I just feel like everyone is bored as soon as I start. Raise your hand if you feel this way. <laughs> they go over to you, Jen, and then you're just like, ah. Uh. <laughs> Let me give you some ideas. I have three ideas. You want to start with something engaging that gets people involved and energized. When you just start talking at people, it's like they immediately start to lose focus and lose interest because it's just a face on a screen talking to them and they see that all day long. So here's a couple things you can do that will help you to get them awake and get them paying attention. The first thing, and this is similar to what we talked about in the last question, is ask questions to start. This immediately wakes people up because you're, if they're problem solvers and our brains are kind of wired to answer questions, they'll be interested. So last night I actually gave a presentation about core values in a speaker sisterhood group, and I started out by asking the members to raise their hand if they knew their core values. And I could see everyone's face and I saw them raise their hand. And then I asked, raise your hand if you make life decisions using your core values. And then I saw the amount of hands that were raised. And it was really interesting to me because actually more people raised their hand than I would have expected. And then I got to use that information to then move into my, my whole presentation about core values. And I could go back to what I learned in the beginning from them, which is, several people in this group know more about core values than the average person because you actually know what your core values are. But for those of you who haven't learned about this yet, I'm going to teach you a quick exercise you can do to learn more about your core values and how to use them in your life. So that is one really simple thing you can do that gets people paying attention right away. The second thing you can do is play a video of a brain teaser and have the audience write their answers in the chat box. The reason I'm saying to use a video is because videos are engaging. They're different than watching a presentation. They're usually short. They're usually edited. They have music. They have quick cuts. You know, they tend to be kind of fun to watch. So find a brain teaser on YouTube and something that's short, you know, 20, 30 seconds max, and then have the audience write their answers in the chat box. And the, the brain teaser doesn't have it to do any, the brain teaser doesn't have to do with what you're talking about. It can be about anything. The idea is to energize people and wake up their brain. 
So you can offer a prize to the winner, or if there were several people who had the correct answer, you can pick a name from the people who, who had it correct, and then you can mail them out a prize, or you could send them a free download for something, or you could send them an electronic copy of your book, or you could do a free coaching session with them, anything. Just It's a reason to get them excited and awake. And you can share your screen and share your YouTube video with the volume enabled, and it's really easy to do, and it's a great way to get things going. It's a bonus if you can find a brain teaser that does tie into your speech. So good luck with that. The third thing you can do is do something that gets people out of their seat and moving around. You You could demonstrate three ways to stretch at your desk so you feel more energized or something like that. It's really simple to do, and everyone will thank you for it. Most of the time, we are sitting in chairs all day long looking at screens. So if you can get people up and maybe get them to stretch their arm over their head or get them to twist their torso or stretch their legs or, you know, just really simple stuff, then you are waking them up so that when they sit back down, they're more engaged in your presentation. And they will thank you. Actually, in the Speaker Sisterhood meeting last night, we opened by everybody had to do one really bad dance move, and then the group had to you know, mimic it. And we went around twice, and everybody got to just pick a really bad dance move. And you can just make it up on the spot. And I sat back down. My heart was pumping. I was laughing while I was dancing. I, was, I felt so just like in my body and not all up in my head. And we were, we were having a good time with it. And we sat down and I just felt like, wow, I feel so energized now. This was great. And then I was able to pay attention. So trying stuff out like that is a really helpful way to build connection quickly and be engaging and not lose everybody the second you start. So the three things I gave were ask questions to start, play a video of a brain teaser, and do something that gets people out of their seat. Oh, here's a good question. <laughs> I hate being on camera. How do I get over this? Yeah, this is a common one. One of the tips I give in Speaker Sisterhood, if you want to improve as a speaker quickly, is to videotape yourself speaking and then watch the video. And you'll be able to see all the distracting things you do. You'll be able to hear all the ways that you use filler words. And there are very few people who take me up on that advice because watching yourself on camera is a terrifying thing to do. And believe me, I totally get it. Like when I say this, I know that it's not easy. And I've been there. And I remember when someone recorded a speech I gave like 10 years ago and gave me the DVD of it, I got home I put it in the DVD player. I watched about 30 seconds of it and cried for the next hour. I could not believe what I saw. It was like traumatizing. (laughs) And, And I think about that now and I'm like, in that moment, I wished I had never seen that video before, but But when I finally did get the courage to watch it again, there was so much information in that video that helped me to get better as a speaker because I could see all the things that everyone else saw and the things that were holding me back from getting my point across and being a better communicator and a better leader. So if you don't like being on camera, there's a couple things I'm going to teach you to do. But one of the things is you got to get comfortable being on camera because It's not like online meetings are going away. They're probably going to go forever, you know, as long as the internet exists. So rather than shying away from it or, you know, constantly going, oh, I got to do this, get, find a way to get comfortable with it. So I'm going to give you a couple ideas. 
the first thing is practice being on camera, not when you're in a meeting, not when you're talking to your boss or to your clients, but just every, you should have, you probably have a phone. My guess is you have a phone and your phone has a camera on it and it probably has a video setting and you can probably turn the camera around so that it can see you shooting short videos of yourself talking to the camera is a great way to get comfortable with the camera. Another thing I would recommend, which doesn't require a ton of technical expertise, even though it might sound like it, is to then edit that video. And there are really simple editing tools like Loom and iMovie, and you can probably watch a five to 10 minute tutorial video that will show you how to edit that video. And then you'll get used to seeing yourself on the screen while you're editing it. And one thing that I noticed about myself and seeing myself on camera and editing the videos is that it almost desensitized me to the whole process of being on camera because I was just used to seeing myself on a screen because I was editing all these videos. So it does take time, but with practice comes comfort. And if you only do it once in a while and you only do it in high pressure situations and you only do it when everything is on the line, it's really hard to get comfortable with it because you're always associating with this fear and this anxiety when really you could be doing it in small increments and building your confidence around it. So here's a couple technical ideas. On Zoom, one thing you can do is when the meeting begins, you right-click your video to display the menu and then choose hide myself. (laughs) And then you no longer see the video of yourself even though others in the meeting can see the video of you. So not being able to see yourself can take away some of the anxiety around seeing yourself on camera because you're not constantly reminded of it. You're also not watching every mannerism and expression you make. I don't know about you, but when I'm in a Zoom meeting and I can see myself, my, what, you know, what everyone else is seeing, I'm constantly adjusting my hair, I'm moving in my seat, I'm thinking about the lighting, I'm thinking about the background. It's like so distracting. So sometimes I turn off I I do the hide myself feature, so I can't see myself anymore, and then I'm more able to pay attention to what's happening with everybody else. So while you're getting more comfortable with being on camera, you might want to try that so you don't have to keep watching what you're doing while you're listening to other people speak. If you're doing a Facebook Live or some other type of video, one thing that's really easy to do is you can put a post-it over the screen. So when your camera is recording you, you can't see yourself, but the camera can. So you're not constantly looking at yourself. And I know a lot of people do this to train themselves to stop looking at themselves and look at the camera because you can tell when someone's recording a video and they're not looking at you and they're looking at themselves. So that's a really easy thing you can do too. Also, this is sort of on the topic. There's a really great and simple trick called touch up my appearance in Zoom that smooths out your skin and complexion. So you, if you, like, let's say you didn't get enough sleep or you're not feeling your best, this feature boosts you up so you look more refreshed. It's so easy to turn on. When you're in a meeting, next to the button on the bottom left where it says stop video, there's a little carrot. It's like a little arrow pointing up. If you click on that and then click video settings, a little window pops up. And if you click on touch up my appearance, all of a sudden magic happens. And your, your face just looks a little more 
soft. And once you click that once, you don't have to keep doing it for every meeting. It'll just be on. And then if you ever want to turn it off, you just have to go do that same thing again, but it'll just always be there. So it's easy. Those are a couple things you can do to try to get comfortable with being on camera. I know it's not everyone's favorite thing, but right now it's the best thing we can do for online meetings so that we can feel more connected to each other and also add that extra impact to our presentations. All right, we have two questions left. How do I field questions while trying to present? What if I don't know the answer to a question? Well, (laughs) this is a really easy one if you know this trick. First, when your presentation starts in your opening housekeeping, like I'm going to be muting you, this presentation will last 60 minutes, tell the audience up front how questions will be handled. You don't want to be stopping every couple minutes to answer a question because that is distracting for everyone and it's hard for you to continue where you left off. So you start by telling the group, I'll be taking questions at the 20 minute mark, the 40 minute mark, and at the end. You can type questions in the chat box anytime while I'm presenting and I'll address them during my scheduled Q&A breaks. This removes any confusion and it leaves you to focus on what you're talking about so you don't have to moderate comments as they're coming in. And this is just an example. You don't have to take questions at the 20, 40, and 60 minute mark. Whatever works best for your presentation is what you should do. The audience is not in control, you are. So you need to pay attention to when the best time is to accept questions and comments for your presentation so they get the most out of it and you can be your best. I've seen so many presenters fumble this because they're trying to manage too many things at once. Like they're trying to read the comments while also doing their presentation and reading their notes and flipping the slides. And it's like, you can tell that they are like freaking out because they they're trying to manage too many things. So make it easier on yourself by setting up a whole schedule for when things are going to happen. So you're not trying to do three things at once. And once the audience knows the rules and the plan, then they're comfortable because they don't have to wonder, like I typed this question in the box and it's been 30 minutes and she hasn't even said a word about it. Well, If you set the expectation up front, they're not going to wonder and worry and think that you're ignoring them. Also, if you don't know the answer to a question, this is a universal answer that you can use in anything. If you're on the phone with a client, if you're giving a, a presentation on a stage, if you're presenting online, anything, you can always say, I don't know. (laughs) But why don't you put your email address in the chat box and I'll research it and get back to you. I've said at so many presentations, because I often do Q&As when I'm public, you know, doing public speaking, if I don't know the answer to something, I'll say, I don't know, but come up afterwards, give me your email address, I'll research it, and I'll get back to you. And I've never in the history of doing that had anyone say, you are such a fraud. I cannot believe you're, you don't know the answer to this question. The only response I've ever gotten from that is, wow, thank you. I appreciate you following up on it, or I can't wait to hear what you find. And people appreciate your honesty. And people also know that no one knows everything. Some questions we can't anticipate. So it's okay to say, I don't know. And to let them know that you're going to follow up helps them to see that you care and that you're going to do the work for them. It's just not something you have in your mind at the moment. Actually, last night, someone asked me the question, when is it not okay to use a prop in a speech? And I've never even thought about that in my life (laughs) because I'm always thinking about how to use props. And I couldn't come up with an answer. I said, I really don't know. And 
I said, I think that question could probably be better answered if I had more context, like for the type of speech you're giving or the goal of your talk, because then I could tell you whether or not props are appropriate. But just as a general answer, a general question, I have no idea. And she just said, okay, well, I was just wondering. And, you know, she wasn't like, well, forget it. I'm leaving speaker sisterhood. (laughs) You know, it was fine because we can't know everything. As for this question, let, make sure you tell the audience up front how questions will be handled so they know. And if you don't know the answer to a question, you can always say, I don't know. Let me get back to you. And if it's a question that you think other people in the audience or group are interested in knowing the answer to, you can always email the whole group afterwards and then everybody knows the answer. So you can you could poll the audience, ask them, or you could just assume like, oh, you know, other people here might want to know too, and you could send it out to everyone. But that's up to you to decide. All right, last question. How do I deliver a script when it's not possible to memorize it? This is a very long answer, but I'm going to give you the shorter version of it right now because this will give you enough to start thinking differently about how you're putting your talks together. The first thing you have to know is a lot of new speakers think of their talk as one big blob. Like, this is all the information I know about this topic, and I'm going to make sure I put it all in here before time is up. And that's really overwhelming, (laughs) not only for you, but also for your audience. And it's also a really hard way to memorize because it's a huge blob of information. So the first thing you should do is break your talk into smaller points. And the way that I've been doing it for years and years and the way I teach it in Speaker Sisterhood is by drawing circles on a piece of paper, like the size of, say, if you were to like trace a can of beans or like a can of Campbell's soup on a piece of printer paper, that size of a circle. And then you put one key point in each circle and you want to have a story or an exercise or an example to go with each main point. And then you put that information into each circle. And then you put that piece of paper next to you so you can refer to it and stay on track during your talk. And so you're not memorizing it word for word, but your talk is flowing from circle to circle and you're using what you put in each circle as your content and as the main takeaways of your speech. For example, if you were going to give a 20-minute talk, you'd want to have no more than three to four key takeaways, which I know for new speakers makes them scream and go, but I have 30 takeaways. (laughs) And that's not good for anybody because that is way too much information for anyone to remember in 20 minutes. And all you're going to do is overwhelm your audience. They're going to leave saying, I'm not really sure what just happened, but that was a lot and not really sure where to go from here. So rather than do that, you take the reins and you decide for your audience what's most important for them to know. And you pick those three to four key takeaways and you build your whole talk around that. And then you fill in your circles. And I call this not overstuffing your burrito because we all know that when you overstuff a burrito, it just becomes a huge pile of stuff. And it's no longer this pretty thing that you can hold in your hand and eat. It's now all over your shirt. It's all over the table. You need a fork. It's like burritos weren't meant to be eaten with a fork. Speeches were not meant to be overflowing with information. They're meant to be a way to help teach people and inspire them. And when you have too much, it's hard to do that. 
I can, I'm going to tell you more about how all of this works and how to pick the right things to put into your speech. There is a really simple system to determine what stays and what goes. And I have templates and I have worksheets on how to build all this stuff in a really simple way so that you're not freaking out and you're not overwhelmed. And we're going to cover all of that in my new course, Online Presenting Made Easy. So if if we're going, as you're listening to this episode, if you're thinking to yourself, you know, I have a lot to learn here, and this actually does interest me because this is something I'm going to be doing a lot more, probably more than I'd like, I should probably take the time to learn and practice. Come join the class. It's going to be super fun. We're going to be talking all about content and setting up your space, and I'll be able to give you feedback on how you're showing up in the class and whether or not everything is positioned correctly to give the best experience. And we're going to be talking about delivery and body language and technology and tools and engagement. It's going to be an extravaganza. I should probably have called this the online presenting made easy extravaganza. So there you have it. The class starts next Monday. It's four Mondays in a row, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern time. And registration is open right now. As I mentioned at the beginning, if you can't make it to a class or any of the classes, but you really want to learn, you can register and I'll be sending the recording out the next day and you can watch it anytime you want. So that does it for me, you guys. This was a lot. I hope you got something out of it. I love talking about this stuff. I'm excited to teach you everything you need to know without overstuffing your burrito as the course begins. Jolie and I hope you love listening as much as we love making this show. If so, tell us by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or share it with a friend. Claim the Stage is a production of Speaker Sisterhood and is produced in the Glitter Closet in Holyoke, Massachusetts. Music is composed by Kelly Vogel of Sound Passage. All right, that does it for us this week. Until next time, stop waiting, start creating. Bye for now.